Welcome. This is a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater living with my family in Canby, Oregon. Today is Sunday, July 24, 2022, and the share ID numbers for Friday, July 22nd, 2022, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Group share ID number is 19212-19,212, and the share ID for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Weekday Big Book Study Group is 19213-19,213. This morning, add a vision for you, get, so, get food sober with entire abstinence. We are pleased to present a panel of three recovered compulsive overeaters speaking about their personal experiences regarding the allergy of the body and the phenomenon of craving. Each will describe for us by identifying their food activators, their, their activator key ingredients, and the food behaviors. This harkens to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, The Doctor's Opinion. How do we go about discovering the allergy of the body and the phenomenon of craving? Well, it's well documented in, the, in this chapter of The Doctor's Opinion. And it is so situated before chapter one, which is Bill Wilson's account and story of alcoholism. Being placed before Bill's story for me anyway, suggests the vital importance of thoroughly extrapolating the directions of becoming entirely abstinent before we embark upon the 12 steps of recovery. It may seem to be an entryway, sort of simple in its sense, into the real directions for recovery, but it is far from that. It is a comprehensive description of what is required for a successful consummation of a plan of recovery. Understanding this clearly places us, shovel in hand, digging in and following precisely what is written. The good doctor explains the overpowering urge to pick up repeatedly, the craving and the mental obsession when we are not picking up repeatedly and succumbing to the desire again of the force of that craving when we are not treated. It's the vicious cycle that drives us deeply into insanity. Abstinence is an essential step it is the beginning of the recovery process. All else hinges on this. This step must be taken with 100% perfection. We must stop this craving. We must be as sober with food as an alcoholic is with alcohol every single day. Anything else becomes evident real soon. So here we go. Did we find ourselves at a crossroads yet? Without who out excuse me, who out there is holding on to and barely making it with their fingers stretched hard onto that thread before we fall? Which by the way used to be a rope, but now it's barely a visible thread. Can you hang on a bit more longer and compulsively overeat? Is it still working for you? Or are you at the end? Can you just let it all go and fall back? Fall back. Somehow, some way, we just must find within ourselves the courage to fall back into the arms of this community. It's just too much. And we are too weary to stand up under it anymore. Food isn't working. I can't get drunk enough anymore with it. Whether we're in full-blown food or partially in and partially out of recovery, cheat days or on the weekends, starting over on Monday, we must 
stop all that nonsense. No moderate or hard eaters here. We are the real overeaters with a real solution given to us. We were handed a book and given the instructions to a solution that works, which I like to say works 100% 100 of the time when applied without exception. What we have is a problem of epic proportions. It is an all-life-consuming, daunting problem. This disease has harmed every aspect of our lives and the lives of loved ones and strangers, quite frankly. But today, outlined in meticulous detail, three fellow visionaries will clearly share their experience that you can follow and utilize to begin your recovery. They have found what the problem is and picked up the directions for recovery, and they are not playing around with this allergy and this craving anymore. I am honored to introduce to you today as our three guest speakers, Carrie A.H. from Maine, Pete B. from Pennsylvania, and Kathy S. from Georgia. Individually, they have found their way to being recovered with the 12 steps in the fellowship and power. They have each discovered the real problem and what it would take to arrest that problem, each willing to go to that any length for recovery. No nonsense, no playing around, no roulette. At step 12, as step 12 guides and to our gift today, they are paying forward the miracle that has been delivered to each one of them as a result. And two, we at A Vision for You have the good fortune to have them in, actively involved in the daily big book study sharing with the still suffering compulsive overeater the wisdom of their experience, which comes as the result of living daily this way of life. So let's begin. Please help me giving, by giving by giving these people a very good, wonderful, warm, a vision for you style welcome. And let's begin today with Terry A.H. from Maine. Good morning, Terry. Thank you, Mel. Good morning, everyone. My name is Terry A.H., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. And it was really nice to hear the lot of, a lot of familiar voices that came on this morning to say good morning. And um, I have to tell you, I'm really excited to be here this morning, and I want to welcome all the newcomers and anyone who's just coming back. Um, it always makes me think, you know, of the part in the doctor's opinion when Bill talks about having the privilege of sharing his experience, strength, and hope with each other, you know, with with other patients in the hospital. And, you know, I just feel the same that I get to share my experience, strength, and hope, um, you know, as I continue this journey just a little bit about me, uh, for those who don't know me, my accident date is July 10th, 2004, and my top weight was 250 pounds, and although there was one time back in 2000, I got 90 days of abstinence, but um, definitely no step work, and the end results was I picked up something off my food plan, which took me to a four-year binge until I came back, beaten and broken um, in 2004. And I know today for me, it's not about years, it's about days and continuing, continuing this way of life. Um, I love the title of, of the special edition, you know, today's presentation, you know, getting, getting food sober with entire abstinence. Um, because for me, I, I didn't know what it, it actually meant to be entirely abstinent. And I will tell you, I sat in the rooms for many years and would say, hi, my name's Terry, I'm a compulsive overeater. But I really had no clue on what I was suffering from. I really believe that, you know, just going to meetings and the whole goal was just, um, you know, about the, 
the food and the weight, and of course, you know, I would lose the weight and then gain it back, lose the weight and gain it back. You know the story. And I had really no idea about the allergy of the body and what entire abstinent meant. So, and how they how they really went hand in hand. And today, you know, as I continue to share, you know, because it's a few versions of the big book with the stories and without the stories, which kind of threw the Roman numerals off in the doctor's opinion, I found an easier method when referring to the doctor's opinion and, and working with others is to uh, to number the pages one through eight. And so, you know, if you want to follow along with me, I'll be referring to the pages, you know, um, one through eight so that everybody can follow and you won't be searching for where I'm, I'm kind of referring to. So today the focus is on, you know, getting sober with entire abstinence. So I had to ask myself, what is entire abstinence? So OA has a, a beautiful definition, clear, and it's just beautiful and clear. And it, it, it says, you know, the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. So that that is the true definition of abstinence. And um, but I didn't know really how to get there. And, um, you know, when they when we talk about powerless over food, you know, I had to ask myself, what does that really mean to someone like me? So what does it really mean when they talk about the phenomenon of craving? You know, that was another question that was presented to me. And that's what this special edition is all about. And I, I want to share with you this morning what it looks like for a real compulsive overeater. So there's a couple components. One is choice and one is control. And what I'm looking at in the doctor's opinion is control. Nothing to do with my mind at this point. So what is the definition of control? So the definition of control is the lack of ability to regulate or restrain. So what I'm looking at in, in the doctor's opinion, I'm asking myself, once I take the first bite of any of my alcoholic foods, do I lose control after I take the first bite? You know, the Marty Man test, can I, you know, the, I, I love the Marty Man test, you know, can I, can, and I can, you know, refer that to my own my own eating so it, it would look like can i eat two cookies you know two dorito chips two pieces of candy two donuts or any of my binge foods for a day no more no less and this is a really good test to help you know get some clarity around what your alcoholic foods might look like i love the two statements presented on the top of page 44 and that's where i'd like to take you first if you would like to follow along. And I've just learned to turn statements into questions when going through the work myself and with working with others so I can get my own truth and they can get theirs. Um, because it reminds us in the book that we we don't diagnose anybody. So this really helps with um, diagnosing your own self. Um, so the sentence starts, um, if you, if when you want it, sorry, if when you honestly want to, I'm at that page, and and since we're just focusing on the physical allergy aspect today, I'm just going to read that one line that is referring to the physical, so it would look like, or when drinking, do you have little control over the amount you take? And I'm going to I'm gonna keep it to as read, so just, you know, change drinking into eating, meaning once I put any of my binge foods in, into my body, can I stop or predict the amount I eat? And that's what they're asking me. And I like to take the question even a little further when asking myself this or working with others, you know, can I stop or predict the amount that I compulsively overly eat based on the need 
the want, a choice, what's right, what's necessary, or because of the desire. And my truth in the answer is no and never. So they tell me that if that be the case, I may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. But the question that was presented to me was why can't I, why can't I stop or predict? So the doctor's opinion is telling me I have an allergy of the body, which means every time any of those alcoholic foods get into my system, I have this abnormal reaction for more that normal eaters don't have. And for me, you know, my body begins to do something that it's called the phenomenon, which means it can't be explained and I can't see it. It's like the built-in storm that lies within me that never just, it never calms down. So I have to ask myself, do I lose control of my eating after the first bite of whatever substance I'm putting in? Or do I always overshoot the mark on how much I eat? Or can I predict how much I eat when, I, when I'm going to eat? Um, so, uh, you know, on page two, um, so if you, numbered your, 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 if you numbered the doctor's opinion, it'd be on page two. In my book, it's XXII, where it starts, um, it says, the physician at our request, I want to read the next sentence. Um, it says, in this statement, he confirms what we have suffered, alcoholic torture, which he's talking about, the torture is that lies within my body, the inside of my body, must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So this is telling me I have a body that's killing my mind and a mind that's killing my body. My mind doesn't, my, for me, it's like my, my, my mind doesn't process reality and my body doesn't process the alcoholic foods. So it's telling me why abstinence is, is important for someone like me and why I keep eating and why I'm insane around these foods. You know, I'm so grateful for the doctor's opinion. On page four, which in my book, it's XXIV. At the bottom, it starts men and women. It says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And I could definitely relate to this because for me, why else would I go to those alcoholic foods that are killing me? You know, I, I remember my family and my husband, you know, would really think that I liked the taste of what I was eating. So I would ask them one day, you know, would you retrieve food out of the trash? And if you could only see their faces or if, you, if you've had that, you know, opportunity to ask somebody, you know, they, they would look at me and say, no way. And um, they, they just couldn't even wrap their heads around why I would even ask such a question. And my reply back to them well, would, would always be, well, I would. I would retrieve what I threw away and just wipe it off and eat it. And that's how it was for me when I was in the food. I know that sounds pretty gross if you're not, not like me. But the physical allergy took me to, to a place where I would never believe that I would go. And today, I know why that was. It's because once I put any alcoholic foods in my body, I got to have more, and it doesn't matter where I get it from, even the trash. Even if it's something I don't like, I'll eat it anyway. And hopefully, you might be able to identify in with that. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, once I start, it's, it's just never going to stop, even when I want it to. And for me, it was never about being social or being around people, you know, um, that I loved, where food was concerned. I might tell myself that lie, but it was always about the need to get numbed out. You know, I wanted to feel nothing. There was, there was so many days that I would hope and, you know, and pray 
that whatever alcoholic foods I put in my body would just shut the voices up in my head and I would be taken out of my reality. I heard this saying um, that was on a bumper sticker once and I could so identify in, in with it. It said, question reality and normal people worry worry me. And um, I just, you know, that, that really could have been my bumper sticker on my car because there were so many countless attempts to put down the food and start one more diet. And I really had to get rid of the word diet because for someone like me, the word die is in that word and that's why they never work. And, you know, because every time I would start one, it would eventually come to an end and I would be right back into the food. So what I do today is I weigh and measure my three, I weigh and measure um, three, three times a day uh, with nothing in between and I abstain from flour, sugar, high fats, artificial sweeteners, which I'll talk more about. And by doing this, I've really had the privilege and I've, I've gotten to live this life in between meals and experience freedom on a daily basis. I also want to share that I did go to a nutritionist to get a food plan that was, that was definitely familiar with the disease concept and was not going to tell me that I could treat myself once a week with binge foods because I was doing good. So, um, you know, just a little bit about my, you know, the, the identification with the trigger foods. You know, I, I had to start identifying with those trigger foods were uh, what they were that kept setting me off. And they look like, for me, you know, nuts, raisins, popcorn, peanut butter, salty, crunchy, anything sweet, you know, even corn. You know, I, I can't do corn, um, dried fruit, just like I mentioned, artificial sweeteners like diet sodas, sugar-free pro products. You know, the road for me to get an absence was I had to begin looking at the categories and the ingredients of what I was putting in my body that set off that physical allergy. For example, you know, I did the category, categories of like comfort foods, like, you know, uh, chocolate, uh, cookies, potato chips, uh, foods containing sugar, like processed meats, uh, condiments, like ketchup, mayo, even mustard because of the salt. I love, I love mustard. I put it on anything um, and, and different cereals. And then food containing wheat or flour, like pastries, pastas and bread, foods containing mixture of sugars and high fat, um, together like what I kept putting on top of the abstinent food, like butter, sour cream, you know, gravy, uh, cheese, cream cheese, salsa sauce. Um, those are just some of the things that I would put on top of abstinent food and call it abstinent. So on page four, which in my book it's XXIV, um, it says, we believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So a few lines down in that paragraph where it says, did I form the habit? So, you know, once I put any of these alcoholic foods into my system, did I, did it, or, you know, did it create a craving for more and did it manifest itself in the food behaviors? And was my problems piling up on me? And so some of my behaviors were like um, eating, watching TV, eating, talking on the phone, eating fast, um, finishing first, night eating, eating standing up, eating while driving, eating more when I was alone, um, eating in secret, eating off people's plate, you know, always running to the scale to see how I was doing. Chewing lots of gum, always having my mouth having to be busy, checking the cupboards and refrigerators, refrigerator to um, you know over and over again, you know hoping that something in something in both would change, 
and eating when I'm not even hungry. And I like to also say the BLTs, which does not stand for bacon, lettuce, and tomatoes. It stands for bite, licks, and taste. And that was me. Um, that was that was my daily thing. I also, you know, had to look at the volume. And I really had to be honest about the quantity that I was putting into my, my body. And I remember when I got the 90 days back-to-back uh, -back abstinence in 2000, I was told I had to weigh and measure everything at home, but not when I went out to restaurants. So let me tell you, this is where the dishonesty came about. I was eating out a lot. And I can tell, you know, I can tell myself the lie, and I can believe that I can do it because you said I could, but is that really my truth? And for me, I tell myself the lie, I believe the lie, then the lie becomes my truth. So I really had to get honest with myself you know, around the honesty, because honesty is the key to getting starting to be recovered. And that meant even with abstinent food, because if you tell me I can have one apple, you better believe I'm going to Whole Foods to find the biggest apple. <laughs> and when it comes to food, I'm dishonest to the core if I don't have a solution. So not weighing and measuring, measuring um, my food plan you know, um, not weighing and measuring everything does not work for me. So um, that was that was a, a good piece for me that I really had to get honest with. So on page 21, it reads, what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. So here's the spoiler alert. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all, not some, not a little, control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. So for me, it started, um, you know, I look at this, I look at this one paragraph that fits me to a T. And um, I like to just say, you know, it was fun. Then it was fun with problems. Then it was just problems. You know, today, you know, I fully conceded to my innermost self, meaning that, you know, truly, it has gone from my head to my heart that I am the real compulsive overeater. So in closing, you know, uh, just coming to the end, um, I wanted to just to share one last thing. You know, there, there are 10 types of alcoholics that they describe in the doctor's opinion. And for time's sake, I'm not going to take you to each page, but most of them are on page six. Um, and I, I have been all these at one time or another, and maybe you two can identify in with these um, types of alcoholics. And, and even though they're all different, they all have one, one thing in common. So there's the hopeless variety type, you know, the one who wants to stop but can't. Then there's the type, you know, whom other methods had failed. This is the one who still has hope um, that he'll find a method other than entire abstinence. Then there's the type that does not respond to ordinary psychological approach. You know, he's living to eat instead of eating to live. And then there's a psychopath, which I didn't think I was, um, but when the definition was presented to me, it's about, you know, one who, who lacks sound judgment, has impulsive behaviors, and the inability to learn from experience. And I always laugh at that because that's totally me. And then there's the type that's unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink with, without danger. You know, he still has one more idea and lots of reservations. And then there's the type that believes after being entirely free from alcohol, he can drink again. And, um, you know, he believes that he can be he can eat those foods again that are actually killing him. And then there's the manic depressive type who has, you know, the up and down mood swings, and that was definitely me. And then the type that is entirely normal. He has great potential, friendly, well-managed, you know, looks looks pretty pretty normal, except maybe for the weight. 
And then there's the pathological mental disorder that, you know, his conditions always get worse, never better. And then there's the type who makes his own diagnosis and determines to die in, in, you know, um, and that's the one who can't see a way out of his misery and is ready to give up. So back to page six at the bottom where it reads, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, is the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been permanently eradicated. So they're saying there's no way of getting rid of the physical craving while I'm still eating my alcoholic food. The only relief we have is entire abstinence. Boom. Here's the solution to the physical piece of the problem. Half of the disease concept is covered. And I would add... All these types have one symptom in common. The thing that they have in common is they all look for the second bite. So in closing, um, I just want to, you know, just say the average temper eater always is able to control how much they eat. And I really had to ask myself, am I different from the average eater? And do I have this allergy that results in overpowering craving for more of my alcoholic foods once I start? And my truth is, I have never been able to eat my alcoholic foods in any form at all. That means once I know what I keep running to, I must entirely abstain from them all. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much. That's Terry A.H. from Maine. Thank you for kicking off this presentation this morning. It's a very, very important, vital one. So I'd like to now direct our attention to our second panelist this morning, Give us a warm welcome here to our very good friend, Pete B. from Pennsylvania. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you. Um, can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. I'm nice. You Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So, so thanks, thanks for your service, Melanie. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Terry. What, what an inspiring message. That was fantastic. I really got a lot out of it. Unfortunately, I'm going to have a lot of the same references in my talk, but, uh, you know, I guess uh, – the repetition will be good for everybody. I know it'll be good for me. So, uh, you know, my my uh, my my abstinent day is May 17, 2022. Uh, I've been re I'm recovered today by God's grace and mercy. Uh, you know, I like to consider myself I'm a garden variety compulsive overeater. You know, uh, you know, uh, by by God's grace and mercy, by following this plan and aligning my will with God and incorporating this process into my life. You know, I've been relieved of. 45 pounds of excessive weight. I've been within two or three pounds of my ideal weight since 2017. And I walk a free man today with pride and dignity, the way I think the God of my understanding would have me conduct my affairs. And I'm super, super grateful for that. You know, before I get started, I just want to let you know, like, if, 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 I, if I say anything or, or present anything that conflicts to what our literature says about this condition or the program of recovery, by all means, bring it to my attention. You know, my, my name's in the, in the directory. I'm going to share it afterwards. You call me up, ask it in the questions. I mean, save my life. Help me. Help me. Right? Bring it to my attention. But when I say the literature, I mean the literature, what it actually says, right? Not rearranged to serve some other narrative or not with the punctuation changed because it better aligns to how some people choose to practice what they think it says, right? Our book was written by 100 recovered people. Since it's been written, it's been re-released four times and it's left the original text barely changed, right? So I think that 
if something was important in implementing this process into our lives, it would probably be clearly written or called out in the original text or added when the book was rewritten several times, okay? So as far as I can tell, there are no decoder rings or calculators necessary to adopt these principles. But if I, if I miss something or, or you know, I, I didn't understand something correctly, bring it to my attention. I, I, welcome, I welcome that. So, so let's just pause for a moment and consider what it is that makes me or us a compulsive overeater and, and why being food sober or entirely abstinent is necessary, right? For anyone out there who may be contemplating whether or not they are or are not a compulsive reader or what the characteristics of a compulsive reader is, right? And, and Terry called it out, right? On page 44 in the AA Big Book, and we agnostic, it says, if, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if, when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. It doesn't say anything about how much I eat or how much I weigh. It doesn't say anything about my behavior or my emotions or my personality or my quirks or my character or my ego. Do some of us share the same personality traits? Absolutely. Do some of us behave similar to others? Absolutely. Do some of us think the same way? I, I, guess, I guess that's the case. But none of those, none of that is what makes me a compulsive overeater. What makes me a compulsive overeater is that regardless of why I eat or what lame excuse I use to give myself the green light to start eating certain substances, I react differently than people that don't have this condition. Once I start eating these substances or engaging in certain behaviors, an allergy is triggered and there is only one thing that I can actually focus on and become, a, and I become obsessed with getting more of that substance or substances like it into my body. Now I have that coupled with a mental condition that absolutely insists I don't have that physical condition or that I'm making too big a deal about it, or that this time it'll be different, or that it's just too difficult, I'll start tomorrow, or if you had my problems, you'd eat like this too, and on and on and on. In the AA Big Book, and there is a solution on page 24, it says, when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. That's any human aid any human aid, that's us, this fellowship, right? Even the gods with skin that we love to talk about, right? In my opinion, but in my opinion, watered down this message about what this book is offering us, right? So, you know, beyond human aid. So going back to page 44, it says that if this be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. It goes on to say that that's exactly what this entire book is all about. It lays out a process, not the only process, but a process for having the vital and effective spiritual experience. Right? So what, so what is it that I, that I must do to have an effective spiritual experience? My personal experience is that I had to be 100% rid of the foods, the ingredients, the behaviors, that when ingested or acted upon, make it close to impossible to have any other concern 
other than to get more of them in my body, right? I had to identify exactly what the foods were, right? I don't, get, I don't get extra credit for putting down food that doesn't make me act abnormally, right? I, I put down the foods that make me react abnormally. I identify the foods, the ingredients, the behaviors in black and white on paper. They're identified, right? My disease is progressive and it's fatal. Right? That, that, that black and white list I have is only going to get more things, not less things, right? Because my disease is going to continue to get worse. I'm going to become more and more sensitive to certain substances, and I may add things to those things. I have to be willing to go to, I have to be willing to go to any length to ensure that what I'm eating is free of these substances, right? It says entire abstinence. I had this idea for a long time, if it was just a little bit, there's just a little bit in there. Well, maybe it's the bottom ingredient, right? Entire abstinence. If it exists, I can't ingest it. I learned from my experience and your experience that absolutely nothing is more expensive and more inconvenient than compulsively overeating or ingesting foods that cause this abnormal reaction. If I go back to the doctor's opinion, it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the truth from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others take with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic, not a psychological, psychic change, there's very little hope of recovery. What is it? What is it that's injurious about these substances? What, right? If I understand this correctly, it's not the fact that they produce ease and comfort, right? The doctor's opinion says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. It doesn't say that that's why alcoholics drink, right? Now, I've never, I've only been me. I've never, ever been another person and you know, my book tells me that I'm even myself, I'm unable to distinguish the true from the false, right? But I'll never know for sure what other people think or what happens to them when anyone else eats or drinks. I'll never really know for sure. All I know is that ease and comfort is not the trigger for the phenomenal craving for me. If it was, if that was the reason why, they wouldn't call it phenomena of craving. They say this is why we have the phenomena of craving, because of ease and comfort. It doesn't say that. It says phenomena. So in being restored to sanity, as a result of working these steps and aligning my will with, with the God of my understanding, all I know is that when I eat, I always get the sense of ease and comfort. Now, like I said, I've never been anybody else, but I can share with you what my observations are, right? Because I know, you know, I can tell you what it looks like. I went, I went on a date with a girl one time. She, all she talked about for the entire day was the dessert she was going to have when we went out to dinner. That's it. She talked about, she, everybody talked about this dessert. I'm going to have this dessert. I'm going to have this dessert. We had a meal. She had a meal all through the meal. She talked about the dessert. The waiter came by. She asked her if she liked the dessert. 
And it was like something out of a movie when she took the first bite. Her eyes rolled back in the back of her, to the back of her head. Noises came out of her body. She took another bite. She said, oh, my God, I ate too much dinner. I'm full. And she didn't have any more of, the, of this dessert she was obsessed over. She, she, the look of it, she absolutely experienced ease and comfort. Absolutely. But she didn't have what I had. The only thing I thought about that experience was that's food abuse. You're just abusing food. That's not what it's made for. You, if, you're, if, you, if you love it so much, how could you not be devoured? Order two was what I was thinking. Right? The delusion that I'm like other people has got to be smashed. The doctor's opinion says all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. The doctor opinion also says this phenomena, as we have suggested, may be the manifestationality which differentiates people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. I read that already, okay. So phenomena, the word phenomena means a fact or situation that is observed to exist or happen, especially one whose cause or explanation is in question. Especially one whose cause or explanation is in question. We need to stop thinking we, we've answered the question. Right? Otherwise, they would have changed the word. They wouldn't use phenomena. We don't know why we eat. We don't know where the disease comes from. All we know is that it exists. I can't explain. I, 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 can't, I, I, don't, I, I eat when I'm bored. I eat when I'm excited. I eat when I'm tired. I eat when I'm energized. I eat when I'm alone. I eat when I'm in a car. All I know is what I want is more, right? If I'm tired, I want to be sleepy, I eat food. If I'm excited, I want to be more excited, I eat food. That's all, that's all I know. That's all I know. I don't know where it came from. All I know is that I have it. And I have to stop negotiating with the fact is whether or not I have it or not. In order to be relieved from it, not cured from it, we must be absolutely free of the substances and behaviors that cause this abnormal reaction. My experience and what I understand with this literature to indicate is this, that craving is a response to stimuli. Craving comes from ingesting the foods or engaging the behaviors that cause it. I'll always get cravings. I will always get a craving if I ingest those, cer those certain foods or engage in those certain behaviors. It's without a doubt in any quantity whatsoever. If I get them, I'm going to have the idea about getting more of them. It's going to be the predominant thought that's going on in my mind. Even though I think, you, you think I'm paying attention, all I'm thinking about is how I'm going to get more of these things or something like it because I have this abnormal reaction going on. Right? But here's what that, what that tells me is that I can't get the craving if there's no stimuli. Right? I can't get the craving if I don't ingest the substances. What I've learned by working this program and incorporating this process in my, in, in, into my life and aligning my will with God is that I can react sanely and normally just as long as those substances 
don't cross my lips. Talked a little bit earlier about, you know, what, what a day looks like for me, right? Upon awakening, I sit and I seek guidance from the God of my understanding. I ask for guidance and direction. I try to, try to, try to, try to get some messaging about how I should conduct my affairs, how I should engage with the people about me. I just seek guidance. I pray and ask for strength and courage and direction from the God of my understanding. I make a plan for the day. And for the compulsive overeater, what I've learned is that the plan for the day is so essentially important. I have to identify what I'm going to eat, when I'm going to eat it, how much I'm going to eat, where it's coming from, who am I going to, who am I going to eat it with, and then I have a day. I have a plan for the day. It's identified all of the key things that I need to know of so I can get through the day successfully. I get the strength and courage and guidance to do that from the God of my understanding. And I close my day with, with a review of how I engage, try to think about what I did well, what I didn't do so well, make amends quickly, right the wrongs, and I close my day with a thanks and a review. That's my alarm. So in closing, I just want to say on page 60, sorry about that. If you guys can hear that, I'm going to stop my timer. But on page 68 and how it works, it says, we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality is a way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is a way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be at once we commence to outgrow fear. And the very last thing I want to say is God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you very much. That's Pete B. from Pennsylvania, extrapolating even more of the specific directions and the guides and how he applies that to his daily life to stay and remain recovered from this disease of compulsive overeating. Thank you very much, Pete B. Our final panelist this morning to wrap this whole thing up, to give that powerful punch that we're looking for to get started ourselves is Kathy S. from Georgia. Let's welcome her equally as warmly this morning. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Melanie. No pressure. <laughs> this is Kathy S., recovered compulsive overeater in Georgia. And um, yeah, thanks to uh, Terry and Pete for the thorough uh, explanation, walk through the um, doctor's opinion. I agree with it. You know, I, I ate because of an, an effect that I was trying to get um, from food. I wasn't eating for nutrition. I don't think I do now, but, but I never used to. Um, this journey about my food sobriety is, is personal. It, it's, um, it was my first step in, in really walking and a journey to find myself. Um, and because I was the type that as a middle child never felt like I got enough attention. And so I, and I just didn't, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. So I thought I had to be someone else in order to be okay. And that entailed just creating, just being an image. And, uh, and in so doing, I really, I lost myself. I never knew who I was. Um, I just thought of who I should be. <laughs> and, uh, and so there's a lot of shoulds that happened in my life. Um, so this, this is a journey of the heart. Uh, I too discovered and I came into this program 
in 20, first in 2010 into OA, uh, knowing that because what I, I just knew in my heart of hearts, so I did kind of start knowing um, who I was, is that what I was doing with food was not normal. It was not safe. And, and it was not what my family was doing. So, uh, and as I, over the years, uh, have learned what I'm dealing with and, uh, coming from a background of three generations deep of alcoholism, um, it's no shock and surprise that I am an addict. And so I did a lot of research, um, to get to where I am today over time. It took a lot of experience a lot of trial and error. Um, that, so like in the big book where it talks about on the first page of the doctor's opinion, you know, where the, I'm the type with whom other methods had failed completely. I really had to exhaust all options to come to the conclusion that yes, when I ingest certain foods, I don't react. My body and mind, everything, nothing reacts the way um, it does with other people. I had to really concede to my innermost self. I am not like other people when it comes to food and drink, and I never have been. And, um, and today, you know, that's, that's the light that shines in me. It's called my truth. So my, um, my entire abstinence is, is pretty simple. I don't, I don't pick up my alcoholic foods or drinks. There's no binging, and I'm working toward or maintaining a healthy body weight, period. I don't have any other rules about my abstinence. Um, I have tried that method about weighing and measuring, committing, doing all of these things to try to keep myself in alignment and knowing where I stand. I found that for me, that that was, um, it was just setting myself up to fail. <laughs> or I was so consumed with the rules of it all that that became my new master. I'd be abstinent, but I was insane. You know, there was a time when um, I was I was doing this and and my husband went to he's like, wow, your food looks really good. And he took a bite and I darn near took his arm off with my fork. It scared him. I went to we went to therapy. <laughs> he got really scared. And, uh, you know, and so it, what I found was, over, again, through all this just trial and error and a lot of experience, I'm bringing, you know, rather than more book knowledge, just some personal experience about my entire abstinence and trying to determine my allergic foods. It really came down to, you know, it was the desperation that finally, it just broke me wide open. And I just had to stop fighting everything and anyone. And I got serious and I thought about, ask myself these honest questions. When I eat, um, broccoli? Do I have a craving for more? Am I freaking out if there's not going to be enough? Or, you know, and again, if I don't have these other rules behind me, it was like, no, I really could care less. And if somebody said, you're not allowed to eat broccoli, I'd be like, ah, fine, I'll give that up. But with a cookie, we're talking something different. You know, even Superman has his kryptonite and brownie mix and cookie dough are probably my top top deals. And, uh, and I don't bake with them even today. It's not, again, a rule. I just know in my heart of hearts, that is not safe for me. I'm not going there. A lot of my, you know, the things that I do is, is just, it's, it's really, a, it's a, like I said, a heart journey. I ask myself, is, is this a way that feels loving, honest, and true? You know, or does this food maybe make me, does it make my mind buzz? Is there a mental chatter? that's going on here. 
and and sometimes it doesn't matter. I mean, it can be pure and healthy, you know, like I've had those cookies that they're just made with dried fruit, whole grains and, and, uh, and applesauce or something like that, you know, and, and, but I want the whole package. That's my truth. I, the reason why I don't have a whole lot of rules about it is because there are certain things, for whatever reason, I just kind of fell into my own plan. Like I weigh and measure, um, my, my grains, and the seeds and the protein that I put in my breakfast, but not the fruit. And then I move on to lunch and, and I weigh and measure, you know, the, the potato that I put in my salad and the protein, but not the vegetables and the fat, I just kind of wing it, you know, but it's a way that works for me. Um, I kind of liken it. I thought of, uh, you know, that the term, just Goldilocks, it's kind of like a Goldilocks um, plan and a style of eating. It's not too hard. It's not too soft. It's just right for me. Um, and that's what I really have to come to. And then I own it. I own the fact that I'm a real compulsive overeater. So there are foods and ingredients I cannot touch. I cannot eat them safely. Never have, never will, period. And again, those are the ones that create this phenomenon of craving, these, these things that um, you know, it just it gets my mind going and I'm in all this doubt and confusion or I flat out am going to town. And, and I really had to even take a look at what I call gateway drugs. And, and these were things that, you know, I've, I even did the when I first came into program into this this particular meeting, a vision for you. I heard about this green, green, yellow and red light, you know, kind of categorizing foods. And of course, the greens were, were often the green food. You're very. Uh, God, God raised, God given true whole foods. And, and uh, there were certain things actually even on that list, like bananas and avocados. I literally do have an allergy to them. I get really bad stomach cramps. My mouth gets itchy. I don't eat those. And I've never had a problem really giving them up, even though I did kind of test it for a time. But, but like all my other alcoholic foods, the pain got so great, it just wasn't worth it. And, um, and so, and then I had these yellow light foods, like healthy crackers. They, they didn't have my quote, alcoholic ingredients per se, like flour, sugar, dairy, but they had, um, but they were still crackers. They were kind of a lot of the, the mimic food kind of stuff and, and processed food in general, you know, these foods are chemically created <clears throat> to create craving in normal people. So if you put something like that in me, who's an addict, <laughs> there's no hope for me. So for the most part, my food is whole foods. And, um, and it really doesn't have much of a label. And if it does, it's a few ingredients. It works for me. It's not to say that I have absolutely nothing processed. Because again, this is where the balance comes in. Um, I, I use tahini, which is, which is uh, processed um, sesame seeds and and then um i use apple cider vinegar or sometimes balsamic vinegar that doesn't have it doesn't it doesn't make me want to crave more i don't i don't compulsively eat and that's often it's my check my check of myself you know does it create this phenomenon am i craving uncontrollably and am i going just nutso in my head and 
And, and that's like, that's, again, these are just the questions that I ask myself. Anything like even bread for the longest time, I was like, I don't have a problem with, with flour. Or if I do, okay, I'll do white flour. Let's take that one out. But bread's okay. And I would eat, you know, this Ezekiel bread, which is pure whole grain stuff. But I knew, I noticed that I would take a bite of that with some just nothing but ground almond butter and even by itself. And I could feel this sense of ease and comfort. I can, I can imagine it right now, just biting into it. It's chewy. It's crunchy. I'm like, oh, you know, and I was like, yep, I got to get rid of that too. Because what I'm looking for is clarity. I need a very clear connection with myself and with my higher power in order to survive this, this alcoholic torture that we, we all are familiar with. And I found that when I did get very clean and clear with my food, I had an I had immediate clarity and the abstinence piece was just a little bit easier. Again, this took a lot of experience. It took a lot of binging and it took a lot of pain that eventually brought me to the honesty that I needed. I always thought and and even had the opinion about diets, you know, that the will of God or that diet, you know, my food is going to have to be nasty, boring, unpleasant. It's like cardboard and, but that's not, that has not been the case. I taste my food. I enjoy it. It's, I, I feel very satisfied. Um, and I recognize how it's in alignment with so many things. It's in alignment with who I am. I have peace with food. I, um, I have, uh, you know, it's, it's organic for the most part. Not all of it. Again, that balance. But it's, it's whole it's organic, it's kind of pure. And, uh, and I feel like that's describe. I want, that's kind of the description of my life with God. It's whole. And, um, you know, God's will, what I also, it's not, again, not that boring and unpleasant. It means greater freedom. It means self-expression. I have a newer and brighter experience wider opportunities. I can be of service to others because I'm not stuck in this, this crazy spin trying to fight an allergy, a craving that I can't stop. You know, if I have a real allergy to grass and I'm standing in that grass and I'm trying to control the urge to sneeze, that's beyond my control, you know? And so I just don't stand in that grass. I have to, you know, and people have shared about that, that bridge thing and how in my memory that part is broken. That's the miracle of this program is that by just removing those alcoholic foods, working the steps on a daily basis, God has restored me to a place of sanity that if I do have a food thought, I do have a second thought, like that's not going to work. It's not going to solve my problems. Sit down, do the work, find out what's going on, share with someone else, be of service. And, um, and so the food, it's quiet. And, um, yeah, it's um, trying to think of where else to go with this. But um, I guess, like, for me, again, this just keeping it very simple was very important for me. I came in, again, with, with I'm a person that when I have rules, it's like, I got to follow them. I, I'm trying to break, you know, asking God to help me with that perfectionism and just learning to let go. This has been based on starting with my food plan it's been a complete dependence upon God and to be able to go with the flow 
of life and the flow of my day, the flow of my body. Again, not picking up the alcoholic foods, but I do pray every morning for wisdom about my food and about my exercise. That was one thing that um, I used to control my compulsive eating. I have tried in the past to weigh and measure that as well or to cut it out completely. But today what I do is I ask God. And I feel like now that the food has been um, cleaned up, my life and, and connection with God have been cleared, everything else, my weight, my exercise, all of that has come into a rational, insane alignment. And so, you know, I listen to my, I'm able to listen to my body. I guess I'm grateful. Maybe I was just a hard exerciser, but I, so I, I ask God for that wisdom. And, you know, in the morning when I'm not feeling so well, it's like, you know, maybe just a little yoga or rest. What? <laughs> you know, before I had to exercise because I had to have that insurance and I don't have that today. You know, my food plan is sane. And so, and it just works for me. So, you know, it's just a matter of, of just trusting God. I pray before I eat and, and I just, I follow the plan, you know, just, okay. I, and I kind of eat the same things every day. So it's not like this big, big ordeal. And I just pause and ask for clarity, ask for the next right thing. And I'm always like, it is never, let's go make cookies and brownies. Never. And uh, so for that, I am so grateful and uh, I'm already running out of time. So I hope that was helpful to someone and uh, just appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much, Kathy S. That's Kathy S. from Georgia. Each one of your personal descriptions of arresting the disease of compulsive overeating has truly proven how life-changing this can be. And it wasn't by chance and it wasn't by luck and not by even your personal ambition, but simply by following directions in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous here. It's a practical program, you all. And it came to each one of you and you've described it beautifully. Let me say this to you straight out there, folks. Only entire abstinence can clear the way so that the disease can be uncovered so that you can get a proper treatment. Thank you so much to each one of you for thoroughly, thoroughly with great detail, lining out just how to how you did this business of becoming entirely food sober. Thank you so much. And just for the rest of you here this morning, be assured that we will ask Terry, Pete, and Kathy for their contact information at the conclusion of this meeting. So stay with us to the very, very end to listen for that. And so that you can listen to this again because it's so vitally instructive, each one with their own personal experience of the same chapter, the doctor's opinion, being able to become absent once and for all, you want to listen to those instructions again. So here's the share ID number for July 24th, 2022, 19,217. So now the lines are open for questions. If you have a question for any of the panelists, Terry, Pete, or Kathy, please unmute your phone and give me your first name, the first initial of your last name, and perhaps your state. And once you've asked your question, please remute your line again by pressing star one immediately. Who has a question? Katie this G from Boston. Katie G. Victoria L. Muncie and Becca R. And Victoria L. Is that what you said? Yep. And Matthew G. Kathy. 
Loretta, somebody from Chicago? Who is Chicago? Press star one one more time and let me get Chicago. Kathy M. R. from Chicago. Kathy R. Perfect. Thanks. Gotcha. Okay, let's go with those right now for this morning. Katie G., Becca R., Victoria L., Matthew G., and Kathy R. So first up, Katie G., your question. Star one, please. Morning, Mel. Katie G., thank you all. What a beautiful panel. My question is for Terry A.H. Um, I was curious. I loved your dialogue on um, compulsive food behaviors. Um, I was curious if you could please speak more about how you um, help uh, your sponsees to look at those and secondarily where you get information on how much you should weigh. Thank you very much. Thanks, Katie, for the question, and good to hear you. And um, the first the first part of your question, so... Um, oh, trying to climb up the side. I have a glass door on my someone tower. Someone's unmuted. Just, yeah, just one minute, Terry. Hang on a sec. No, the kitten's in the whistle. It's just pepper because she can't clean her back off and stuff because she's too fat. She can't reach her body. Like her body. Okay, I think that should help. <laughs> Go ahead, Terry. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So the so the first question, Katie, on the on the food behaviors. So what I do with working with others when I'm working with others, I ask them like, because usually what happens is because it becomes our own our only normal life, and um, they're not always aware of it. So what I have them do is like, I I have them make a list of everything that they didn't do while they were not sitting at the table. So. Um, it kind of gives a good indication that if you're not sitting down at the table and, and enjoying your meal and eating, there might be some food behaviors going on. So that's kind of where I start them out at because, again, you know, it, it becomes our own, only normal life, so we're not, we're not aware of what we're doing. Um, the second half of your question, um, you know, is, I think it's interesting in this part because everybody is different. And um, for me, um, my my goal weight was really uh, determined by a nutritionist, um, and uh, and that was really helpful for me because um, left to my own my own devices, I can you know make up something that's not maybe healthy for me or not doable for me. So um, based on what I do, I do I do exercise, I I, I work out. You know, I do weight training, so there's, there's different aspects to where I should be, um, especially at my age. And so I, it's really between me and my nutritionist or a doctor. Uh, hopefully that, that helps answer your question. Thanks for, the, thanks for the question. Thank you very much, KD, for the question. Next up with a question, Becca R., please. Hey, it's Becca R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and my question is for Terry A.H. as well. Um, Terry, I could really relate to what you said about um, in your previous abstinence and eating out, not weighing and measuring. Um, what does that look like for you today when you eat out? If you eat out, do you weigh and measure? Thanks. Hi, Becca. Thanks for the, thanks for the question. And um so what I do now is I take my scale with me, and um, my husband's very aware of, you know, that I need to do that when we go out to eat because um, he's seen me at my, my top highest weight. And 
he knows it's life or death for me. So I do bring my scale. I have a, a pocket-sized scale that I just pull out, and it's really not a big deal. Um, it's only a big deal if I make it a big deal, but people, I have often had people admire what, I, what I'm what i doing, um, and I always used to think that, you know, people are going to think I'm crazy, you know, I'm going to look different, but really it comes back for me. This is a life and death program, and am I willing to give up my life just to go out to eat and, and, and look try to look normal, because that's, that's being dishonest with myself. Not that people can't do that, but for me, my truth is I can't do that. So when I do go out, I bring my scale. And thanks for the question. Thank you very much for the question, Becca R. Next up, Victoria L., for your question, please. Hi, good morning. This is Victoria L. Can I be heard? Loud and clear. Just come on in swinging, okay. Mademoiselle. All right. My question is for Pete B. Thank you, first of all, to all the panels this morning. Great. Um, feedback on the doctor's opinion. It was very helpful. Pete, can you talk a little bit more what you were saying about men and women like to drink because they like the effect produced by food? I thought that was really interesting, and I I just wanted to get your clarifying point on that. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thanks Thanks for the question. I appreciate it. Um, uh, my, my, My point on that is that even comfort is not what triggers the phenomena of craving. The phenomena of craving is triggered by something that biologically happens inside my body that I can't address, right? It's, I know it's there. I don't know where it came from, right? But I, what I know is this, like somewhere between 11 and 11.45, almost every single day, I start to feel the grumblings of being I'm restless, irritable, and discontented because I have a I have a a, a need a need given to me by the Creator to to provide nourishment so that I can function and live. And what what I've observed to happen again, like I said, I've never been anybody other than me. But when I look in nature, when I look outside in the world, you know what happens when animals. Are, are, are feeding. Be, before they eat, they're restless, irritable, and discontented. They eat and they take a nap. So that, that, that you know, babies, they're, they're, they're uncomfortable. They cry and they get fed and they, they get nourished and they take a nap. But that tells me that that's something that's biologically happening. And food satisfies that. And I don't have to be afraid of the fact that it provides ease and comfort just as long as that's not the reason why I'm eating. The reason why I'm eating is to satisfy my nutritional requirements. I'm not going to food for entertainment, right? Recreational eating, you can't recreationally eat. But just because food gives me, you know, because I enjoy my food, I enjoy the taste of it, I enjoy the fact that it nourishes me, I don't have to be afraid of that. I don't have to. I don't have to worry. Well, my food's getting too sexy for me, right? Food's just, food is food. It's it's what I need to be nourished and live. So I I I, I you know I, I'm not I'm not I don't I'm not overly concerned that I'm satisfied from my meals because I believe that's what that that, that that's just part of my part of part of nature. So I hope that that answers your question. Thank you very much for the question, Victoria L. Next up, Matthew G. With your question. Hi, my name is Matthew G. in France. Um, thank you, everybody. That was awesome. Learned so much. Um, 
especially PP, uh, you're the best. Just really, really, really identify so hard with your message. Super grateful. My question is, um, um, uh, uh, yeah, the, for you, the difference between a psychic change and a psychological change. I think I know the answer, but I love. I want to hear a little bit more about that. And one other thing, you talk a lot about um, collision and alignment. You know, so that's um, that's, my two, that's my two. Thank you. Um, yeah, right. So, um, I don't, thanks, Matthew. I appreciate the question. Right. So I'm, 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 uh, just, just to be completely transparent. Um, I'm really the only books that I've really ever read cover to cover is the big book and the, and the, and the 12 and 12, maybe a couple of others out there. Right. So I, I just kind of rely on, um, on what the dictionary tells me words mean, right? And and so when I when I look at the word psychic and I do a and I ask the dictionary to tell me what it means, it says something relative for some reason my, my dictionary is not coming up right now, but I'll look up psychic. It says relating to or denoting faculties or phenomena that are apparently inexplicable by natural laws, especially involving telepathy, telepathy or clairvoyance. And when I look up psychological, It says, of affecting or arising in the mind related to the mental or emotional state of a person, right? So, so what I take psychic to mean is that I needed to change spiritually. This is not a, this, you know, people refer to it as, as a practical program. The, the foreword to the 12 and 12 that says the 12 steps are spiritual in nature, which is practice as a way of life will expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to live happily and usefully whole, right? So uh, while, while I get mental health benefits from practicing it and I get, you know, and I get to live happy, joyous, and free, and that affects my mental well-being, what I'm after is a spiritual experience, not a psychological experience. And as long as I'm pursuing things uh, uh, from, a, from a psychic, from a spiritual perspective, I'm constantly growing. I get too caught up in this idea that I have to understand. I need to break it down. I need to find out the answers, the sources. The, right? that's a, the, to, to me, that's psychological. And what I've learned is psychological, or what I've come to understand, is psychological is a mental defense. And our book tells us, our literature tells us, that I will not have a mental defense against the first ring. Right, that defense must come from a higher power. So that's how I relate that to being to to uh, to psychic. And then with regard to the first part, you know, alignment. You know, I I I always go back to what I believe are the most important steps in recovery, which is the first step in recovery that I can see to my innermost self that I'm a compulsive overeater and the delusion that I'm like other people or presently maybe has got to be smashed. Right. That's the one that's always made me go back out there. I thought, you know, this time it'll be different or I could be like that guy. Right. I, I, I this can now never be and never will be. And then the, 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 the third step is where I turn my life, make a decision and turn my life and will over the care of God. I understand God. 
which means that I'm going to, from this point forward, all I'm going to do is develop and grow spiritually. That whatever happens was intended to happen. It's my job to, eat, to deal with it, to learn from it and grow from it, or just be grateful for it. Right? And that's my idea. That's my idea about alignment. On a regular basis, I seek guidance. I seek courage. I seek, I seek uh, uh, direction and courage from the God of my understanding. And then I'm challenged each and every day to go out there and be a demonstration of it. When I fall short, I learn from it and grow, make amends quickly, and get right back on. And I, as long as I don't take that first fatal drink, that first fatal bite, I get a chance today. And that's what I mean by alignment. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Matthew G., for your question. Next up is Kathy R. Your question, please, this morning for the group. Hi, everyone. Kathy Amar, compulsive overeater from Chicago. My question is for all three panelists. Thank you, by the way. Wonderful um, presentation this morning. Um, the question for all three um, is kind of twofold. Um, do you currently um, do you currently report your food to a sponsor? Um, and secondly, if you if you have reset your abstinence state what what was it that made you do that um thank you shall we go in order go ahead Pete, and then yes, we'll go with sure. the other two yeah oh go ahead go ahead so thanks for the question um Answer the question in complete transparency. For about the first 18 months of my of of uh, of being in a vision for you, actually, particularly uh, um, as I did uh, report my food. I uh, you know I talked about it in my in, uh, you know about my 11 step practice. Upon awakening, I think about the 24 hours ahead, and every day um, I made a plan and recorded that plan, and I re- and I reported it to my to my sponsor, and then. Um, after that, after the uh, that 18 month period, you know, we had we had discussed it, and the fact that I was working with others, and some were and some weren't reporting their food to me, um, I, w- I, I I no longer I no longer record my uh, I'm sorry report my food as if you know I'm accountable to somebody right like uh, I, I don't I don't I don't believe in accountability partners they're 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 a good start they're a really good start. Um, my, my sponsor helped me understand that without, without having somebody do that, I, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to need that with regard to the food. Um, and I, and I did that. And, and like I said, I did that in the beginning and today I make a plan. I make a plan. My plan is rock solid and I follow that plan, right? I don't make, I don't make decisions about food while I'm eating food. I make decisions with my food after I've you know, literally gotten off my knees talking with my, the God of my understanding. Um, and I forget the second question is, you know, my reset, I reset my accident date a thousand times. You know, I was, I was always eating my last meal. I was always going on the, the diet to end all diet, right? Working with the trainer to, to end all trainers. Um, and, the, and the reason why that was is that because I never really took this disease as serious as, I, as it needs to be taken in order to recover from it. I looked at it as if it was some kind of inconvenience or some kind of, you know, like a, like a character flaw and didn't treat it as a deadly condition that only gets worse, never better. So I thought that, you know what, like, okay, you know, it's not a big deal. 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just have one of them relapses everybody seems to be having and get right back on the bandwagon. and I'll get my applause when I go back into the room and everything's going to be okay. And it wasn't until I, it wasn't until I actually took the disease as serious as it needs to be taken and that the delusion that I was like other people was absolutely smashed. What, that, that, was, that was when, you know, kind of like the switch turned for me. And I, and, I, and, I, and I really became willing in any circumstances to go to any lengths to ensure that what I eat, you know, nobody has to understand it. Nobody has to appreciate it. No, I, there are just things that I absolutely will not pass my lips. And if I don't know what's in it, I'm not going to eat it. Right, and I just take it that deadly serious, and uh, and and that was the that was the change to make it so that I haven't had to change it since uh, change my date since uh, May seventeenth, two thousand seventeen, with our past. Thank you. Hey, Kathy S from Georgia, would you like to answer that question, and then we'll move on to Terry A H. Yeah, hey, thank you. Uh, okay, um, thanks, Kathy, for the question. Um, I uh, no currently I do not report my food to my sponsor. It uh, not from um, when I came back into program. Um, she doesn't take food commitments, and um, as it turned out, I I was at my wit's end. I was so broken that you know I was just like I don't even know if I got the energy for that or whatever. But the truth is the way that that she worked the program with me, the way that I work my program with sponsees is that my food, my recovery is my responsibility. Um, I have to own the fact that I'm a real compulsive overeater. And so my life depends upon it. I have to be honest. I don't really have a choice with that. And, um, and that means I take, when I own my disease, when I go places, like last night we went to a dinner party, I brought my own food. I don't, like what Pete said, I, I don't rely on others, if I don't know what's in it, um, I don't just say, oh, well, you know, and pray and trust God. I, um, I pack food in my purse. I show up when I go on vacations. I pray about it. I pack some stuff. And then, and God has never let me down. Um, I will always, I'm always taken care of. Um, and therefore, and the way that my plan is set up and my entire abstinence is structured, I have since coming in, to back into program May 12th of 2020, I have not had to reset my abstinence date. So thank you for the question. I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Terry A.H., would you like to go answer the question too? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Kathy, for the question. It's a great question because, again, you know, everyone's different. And, you know, I always meet people where they're at, not where I think they should be. But for me, my own experience was I reported my food for a long time. And then, you know, as I became recovered and, you know, uh, worked this program, like my life depended on it and was willing to go to any lengths, it always reminds me on page 99 where it talks about, you know, re remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is, it is dependent upon his relationship with God. And so, um, because it's really not about it's really not about the food and the weight for me today. It's about you know living this program of recovery. And um, although in the beginning I did have to do that because of the honesty piece, but um, you know um, as I continue this journey, um, you know I, I have a food journal that I just you know I write down my food and I kind of commit it to God. And um, you know it's and it's, and it's changed. It's changed over the years. 
Um, and as far as my, my reset for my abstinence date, um, I haven't had to change it since 2004. But before that, I was always changing it because I was always relapsing. So um, if I'm not clear on my first step, then it's definitely a reset in, in a change of date. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much, Kathy MR, for the question. It looks like we might have time for one, maybe two more questions. If you happen to have that, want to press star one on your phone keypad, I'll get your name and, and perhaps your state for the panelists. Loretta H. Loretta. Mm -hmm. Chris M. Chris M. Let's go with those two for now and see what happens after that. Loretta, your question, please. Star one, Loretta, real quick like. Loretta H. Recovered. Thank you, all the panelists. Your shares were very inspiring. And I do have a question for all of you. Um, what do you do? How do you work with a person who only has behaviors but knows that he or she is that's their detriment? Go ahead, Terry Age. I like that idea of going in, in sequence there. So, Terry, if you want to answer first, yeah, and then sure. we'll follow with Pete, and then with Kathy. Yeah. Um, I couldn't quite hear the question. Um, something about behaviors. I wasn't clear on the question. Yeah. Well, what if you're what if you're working with somebody that doesn't have the allergy, but just only behaviors? She's interested in knowing that. No allergy, so, but just behaviors. <laughs> so. Um, for me, I haven't had that experience, but I will tell you that um, I do work with others all the way up to page 30, and they get to diagnose them themselves, you know, whether they have both or one or whatever, um, and then we move from there. But I have not had an experience with the real compulsive overeater that has not had both. So that's my, that's my answer. Thanks. Pete, you want to jump in? Star one, Pete B. I got it. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So thanks, Loretta. Uh, you know that that's a that's a that's a that's a tough question. I, I'll be honest with you. You know, like I mean, and, and the way I would the way I believe I would address that is that um, I would ask the person to identify what those behaviors are. If there's a behavior that causes an abnormal reaction that you continue to engage in those behaviors, well, then you need to abstain from them. And I'll, I'll do everything I can to, you know, lay out what the book says about, you know, not engaging um, in the substances and just replacing for behaviors. But I'm not sure by definition that they have the condition that the book describes, right? And, and you know, in, in We Agnostics, it, it has two questions that ask us to identify. And and if that's not the case, then you know, maybe maybe you maybe maybe you have some other condition, right? And 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 you can find somebody with experience with that condition to help you or not, you know. So so I don't know. I'm going to think about that one after this meeting closes. But I appreciate the question and um, hope that response is helpful. Thank you, Pete. Kathy S. Yes? Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, Loretta, for the question. Um, and I, I kind of agree with Pete in that if there's no real allergy to the foods, it's it's not my experience um, 
really. And uh, and I have had uh, women. Uh, there's a couple of women I can think of that I have spoken to about this, and and they swear they they don't have um, any any particular food allergies. And and so I have, you know, I'll just all I can do is share my experience. And and we talk about that because um, and and we kind of review. I have tried working with someone um, through the doctor's opinion that way. Just kind of okay. Well, let's just see how this works. And she ended up just leaving. Actually, both people did. Um, they uh, and I. There's other like like what Pete was saying. I do know of other fellowships like Eating Disorders Anonymous um, that I have recommended. Where if you can eat in moderation certain foods, then you know, it's, they do, I think, a more of a thing with, with the behaviors and, um, and that's where they have gone. So, because it's hard to talk about entire abstinence, you know, for me, it was physical. It was about the substance, just like the alcohol is for the alcoholic. And so, you know, and that's all I can do. I can only share my experience with someone. So thanks for the question. Thank you, Loretta. Our time is just winding down here real quick, like, but I did want to give Chris M a chance to answer, ask her real question, her question real quick here and see if we can get a quick answer before we need to wrap up. Hey, Chris, go ahead. Okay. Thanks so much, uh, everyone, for your service today. Um, Chris M, compulsive overeater from Canada. Um, just a question for any of the panelists. I'm just wondering, um, I'm two years into program always, uh, you know, consider myself recovered, haven't gotten back into the food, but I um, am struggling with the program. And this is making me um, so struggling with my commitment to my program and, you know, doing my daily practice. So um, with the, with reevaluating my food plan, uh, my abstinence, my food behaviors, what is your recommendation? Just, just do it as if I'm a beginner. Um, I've already talked to my sponsor about it too. So um, just looking for, some advice on that because I need to do some review. Thanks. One of you panelists want to take that on today? Um, I will. This is Kathy uh, from Georgia. It's Chris. Thanks for the question. I had kind of a similar, so I can only share my experience here, um, kind of a similar experience in that when I got to 10, 11, and 12 one time and I was abstinent, um, but the program was, I, I felt it was really shaky. And the truth was I wasn't doing 10, 11, and 12 um, all that well. I was so full of fear. And uh, and I thought, I just got to, so like you, my first thought was I had to work this program harder. And, um, and I tried doing that. And it wasn't about um, that. It was, I had to, um, and, and, and with that, working it harder, working it with more, um, more rules, I should say, I ended up, it didn't work for me. I ended up leaving. I ended up going back in the food and I ended up coming back with an open mind and a willingness to do the work. You've got to do it. Um, outreach calls, it turned out, uh, you know, I had a real fear of the outreach calls and, and that became, it's a very important part of my, my program today. I make a lot of outreach calls during the day talk about what's going on with me, and most of them are uh, with 10 steps. Anytime I am disturbed, um, I, I write out a 10 step. I do a full inventory. I share it with someone, and I move on. And then the food is quiet, and my program is smooth. You know, when I, because I don't have a whole lot of rules, 
in my, uh, as part of my abstinence, I have to work a diligent program. And, uh, and again, that's where the balance comes from. And it is very, it's God based in my opinion. And, and, uh, and it just, it feels right. And, uh, so, you know, it comes down to finding what fits like a, like a really comfortable shirt. It's not too tight, not too loose and it, and it fits. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, you can try it, do, do whatever, you know, and then you, but for me, that's what it came down to. I had to, I just had to work the program and stop, you know, worrying about anything else and keep it simple. So I hope that answered your question. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Yes. And, and, and Chris, be sure and take down the other telephone numbers of our other two panelists too. And you might be able to get a chance to visit with them about those on a telephone call as well. And, you know, for the rest of us, to get food sober with entire absence was certainly des described beautifully by extrapolating that from the doctor's opinion. Following precisely the personal experiences outlined by our guest speakers today will certainly accelerate your own recovery process. Interrupt the disease right now today. Reach out to these people here that shared today and stop the self-sabotage. Don't live any more jeopardizing the one and only go-around that we've been blessed with on this globe today. Consider that for sure. Thanks again, you panelists, for, for what you've offered today. You've offered so much, so very much today, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Another one for our archives that will go down in, in infamy. <laughs> Thank you. So we'll close this morning, as we always do, by reading from the big book. Could I ask if Kathy is with a C or a K? It's a K. And I'll, I'll give you that information when I get their telephone numbers. I typically spell those kinds of things out, yeah. Okay, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you'll surely meet some of us as we trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 